0: This week, we will talk about data observability. And we have a special guest today, Bar. Bar is a CEO and co-founder of Monte Carlo, which is a data reliability company. She has experience with building data and analytics team, working as a management consultant, doing research as a research assistant, and even working in Israeli Air Force. So welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Yes. um, Thanks for coming. So before we go into our main topic of data observability, maybe we can talk a bit about your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, as you mentioned, I was actually born and raised um, in Israel. Uh, and so started my career in the Israeli Air Force. Um, I was commander of a data, uh, data analyst unit. Um, actually moved to the Bay Area about a decade ago. Uh, so I'm located in San Francisco in California. <clears throat> I studied math and statistics. Uh, so that's sort of my background in, in data as well. Um, and uh, you know, working as a management consultant, uh, worked um, a lot with data science teams, working with um, Fortune 500 companies on, um, on their strategy and operations. Um, and then most recently, I joined a company called Gainsight, uh, which is a, a customer data platform, uh, which uh, created the customer success category um, and at Gainsight actually built and led the team that was responsible for our customer data. Um, so sort of uh, uh Gainsight on Gainsight. So we, shot, we called it Gong for short. That was sort of our, our, um, our nickname for it. Um, and we helped uh, our customers uh, basically use data to grow, um, grow their businesses uh, with, their, with their customers. Um, and throughout that experience, actually um, you know, sort of leading the, the team that was responsible for customer data and analytics realized how big of an issue is um, some of the very fundamentals around data. Uh, as companies try to become data-driven and rely on data, um, they actually ran into instances of what I call data downtime. I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but that's when, when I first sort of encountered it. Um, and so that got me thinking, you know, how is it that we are so advanced in data, um, uh, and yet there are some things that we really just haven't figured out? Uh, and so, started Monte Carlo with the goal of helping organizations um, use data, adopt data, become data driven um, by actually minimizing what I think is the biggest problem, the biggest hurdle, which is data downtime. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a big pleasure for us to work with some amazing companies on uh, helping them solve this problem uh, and helping achieve data reliability.
0: Okay, so you worked uh, you you were leading analytics teams, right? And uh, you were working closely with data and you noticed okay like we have some ideas how to process this data but when something breaks then uh, things go wrong right and that's that led you to realizing okay there is some gap in the market that you could fill, and then this is why you created the company right yeah let me
1: yeah let me describe to you sort of a scenario that i'm sure is familiar to anyone in sort of data and potentially in engineering as well right so you know, it's, um, it's, it's always like on a Friday evening at 6 p.m., like five minutes before you're just about to log out, um, you know, something hits you. Like a customer reaches out and says, hey, the data here looks really wrong. Like what's going on? You're literally just leaving the office, just about to like, you know, sign off. Um, and then suddenly something blows up, right? Uh, or this is like five minutes before a really important board meeting. You know, the CEO pings you and says, hey, you know, the graph here something with the numbers that I'm showing, just looks off. Like what's going on, and then it starts this scramble of what went wrong, and and you know, and and where, um, you know, is, is the report refreshed? Did all the data arrive? Um, did someone make a schema change somewhere that sort of messed everything downstream? Right. Um, it started this guessing game of what's going on, right? Um, and so there's a few problems. One, data teams are often the last to know about these issues. They often find out about these problems from consumers of data, whether that is executives or business units or consumers are actually like users of your product. Um, and the second, it often takes ages to actually understand what the problem is and identify root cause. Um, our systems are so complex today that it, it there's literally you know the ability to pinpoint the root causes is extremely complicated, especially when done in a manual way. Um, and so in seeing this problem come up again and again, both for myself, but also for data teams with other organizations, I was like, are we crazy you know am i crazy like how how is it that we you know are, are that this problem exists right how can it be that um, we don't have a better way to do this um, and that basically inspired uh, you know kind of the realization that there, there is a better way to do it and the better way to do it is actually based on best practices from engineering
0: Mm-hmm. Now, speaking about best practices, so uh, data observability, and I did a bit of Googling before uh, before our talk today. So yeah. data observability is based on the concept of observability, which is a concept from the DevOps world, right? Yeah. So maybe before we go into data observability, you can tell us a bit what uh, what it means in the DevOps world. What What is this best practice you're talking about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I will say in general in data, you know, we, um, the, the data space has been evolving very, very quickly. Um, we're still quite behind in terms of sort of methodologies and frameworks compared to engineering. Um, and so it is actually worthwhile spending time understanding what are these concepts like DevOps and others in software engineering that can help us navigate the space of data and navigate what we want to accomplish in a better way. Um, and so the idea of DevOps basically has, you know, merged in the last couple of decades and as a result of um, companies that move from um, basically ba- basically the underlying tech stack become way more complicated, similarly to how they are in data, right? Um, for example, you know, for an organization that's moving from a monolith to a microservice architecture, something that you know almost every organization is doing. Um, and, and as a result of that, there has been the rise of DevOps, um, which is basically teams that help have a constant pulse on the health of their systems and make sure that all the applications and infrastructure is up and running, right? Now as part of that um, uh, developed the idea of observability. Um, And so observability is this holistic view um, that includes monitoring, tracking, triaging of incidents um, to prevent downtime of those systems. Um, And so, you know, really at its core observability in, in the engineering is broken into um, three major pillars, uh, metrics, logs, and traces. Um, and basically all of these together help us understand uh, what are the, the health of the system based on its outputs um, and when things are wrong, why, right? So answering basic questions like, um, are, is a system healthy? Um, if not, what happened? When did it happen? Um, are there other events that are correlated that could help us understand what's happening here? Um, and so you have you know, systems and um, software to help address the need for observability and monitoring. Um, and really, every engineering team today that respects itself has something to manage that, right? A solution like um, New Relic or Datadog or AppDynamics mm-hmm. or PagerDuty, right? All very familiar solutions um, that help us answer these questions uh, when it comes to applications and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's a very important concept in software engineering, and one that has been relied on for for, for many years now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are basically tools you said uh, the teams were moving from monoliths to microservices, and then usually the microservices, some sort of uh, web service, and tools like Datadog, New Relic, uh, or even open source tools like Prometheus, Grafana, yeah. they're tailored uh, to these kind of applications, to web services, right, or something that is always uh, running. While in, uh, dat- in the data world, we Often have something a bit different. Maybe we more, more often have batch processes than uh, you know something that is up and running all the time, and that's why we need uh, a bit of dif- uh, a bit of a different approach, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's a different approach, but um, but it's very important to mm-hmm. to do, right? Um, let's 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 talk about why it's very important, right? If you think about um, you know, uh, sort of, I'll, I'll, I'll draw the analogy of what we call data downtime, explain what data downtime and what um, uh, application downtime is. So, you know, if we take a specific example, if a company, say an e-commerce company has a particular website, um, and, you know, like a couple of decades ago, if, if your, the website was down, no one noticed because they probably had like a real shop where people actually purchased things. And so, you know, the website was something minor that nobody cared about. Um, but today, you know, if your website is down, it's basically your product, right? And so you actually have to manage that very carefully um, and you have a commitment uh, to like n- you know, 99.999% uptime, right? Um, uh, now, t- today you have all these solutions and many others, like you mentioned, to actually make sure that your website is always up and running. Um, now, if you think about the corollary of that to data, as you mentioned, Um, You know, maybe a couple couple years ago, maybe like 10 years or five years ago, you know, who was using your data? It was only a small handful of people, um, and they were using data very infrequently, right? So maybe only once a quarter to report numbers to the street, right? But today, in today's world, there's way more data engineers, data analysts, data scientists. um, There's way more people in the organization who are using data to make decisions, to power your product, right? Um, and so, if the data is down, that's a big deal. Maybe 10 years ago, it wasn't a big deal because no one is using it, but today it is a big deal.
0: So, uh, well, I hope the stream is still. Uh... Yeah, it's still live. Okay. Good. So, good. Sorry that, about uh... that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, to I mean, be honest, I don't close. remember when uh, uh, what you were talking about. So, like, yeah, you were saying that uh, data downtime is a big deal because. Uh, while previously nobody cared about this, today there are all these analysts, data scientists and everyone else who is using data, we rely on this data, right? right? And if the data is not there, and I know I work as a data analyst and we build data, we build machine learning things on top of the data, when the data is not there, our models stop working, right? And then we start, okay, what happened? And then we see, the data is not there, right? Or uh, the data, like it's usually like, it should be maybe, I don't know, 1 million records, but today is only 10,000, whereas the rest, yeah. right? And these failures, they are often silent failures, right? Because the data didn't appear in all volume, like maybe just a fraction of it appeared. And if we don't have monitoring to our machine learning pipeline, it looks okay. Okay, there is some data, Let's, uh, you know, apply the model to this data. And uh, yeah, I'm done, right? But uh, yeah, it's silent. We didn't notice that something is wrong. So yeah. yeah, I think you were talking about something like that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. It's like, it's you know, the job is completed. It's all green. Everything passed. But you know what? You only got, you know, a small fraction of the rows that you were, you know, you were, you were hoping to get or expecting to get. Or you know what? job completed you got all the all the data but now it's all null value like all the values are null suddenly right um, or you know you got all the data but it's credit card data and suddenly you have um, you know uh, values that you don't expect right like letters or mm-hmm. you know something that you know you shouldn't have there but you never knew because the job was completed and everything was fine Um, and you might just not know about it if you're lucky you might find out about it the same day but oftentimes it can take you know weeks or even months until you realize that yeah you know my model was operating on completely wrong data for example uh or you know i was i was using data to make decisions that was just totally incomplete or actually wrong Mm
0: -hmm. so so you said like the the if we talk about the problems we have with data, about data quality problems. So first you mentioned that, uh, okay, there could be some things that were not supposed to be there, like letters in the numeric fields, right? Then um, another problem is data is simply incomplete. We don't have all the rows that were supposed to be there. Like it's, instead of one million, we have only 100,000, for example, or even uh, less than that. What are the other problems that we can have?
1: Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, when when we first started, sort of set out to determine what is data observability and what should it mean. You know, one of the common things that we heard was, you know, every data team is different. Every data team is unique, and my data can break for millions of different reasons. Um, And you know what? There's probably there might not be even a pattern for all of this. and I actually disagree with that, right? Um, before before we started the company, we actually spoke with um, hundreds of data teams to identify, basically to come up with sort of a database of all the times and all the reasons for when your data goes wrong, <clears throat> excuse me, for when your data goes wrong and why, uh, right? Like what the root cause is, what is the symptom and how did you identify it? And what we've seen is actually there are patterns um, and there is a, a coherent set um, that you could you could work off that you could Instrument and monitor for that will help you gain observability. Similar to how we do that in observability in, um, for DevOps, right? Even though your applications and your infrastructure can break for a million different reasons, there's still sort of those three core pillars that we talked about that help engineers identify when their systems are down, right? And so for data teams, what are those? What is that framework? What are those metrics? Um, and so we, do, we define five different pillars for this. And we believe it's, that uh,
0: three three pillars you mentioned. Uh, sorry for interrupting. So it's like metrics, logs, and traces for yeah, exactly. And for data, you said there are five, right?
1: Yes, precisely. There are five, um, and the five that, that we define, we believe that sort of if you um, uh, if you monitor for all of them, instrument and track those, you'll get the same sort of level of of confidence um, in your data. So let's talk about which though which five of those are. We talked. We gave a few examples. Um, But the first one uh, is freshness, and so you mentioned, you know, um, let's say we have a table that um, you know gets updated three times an hour regularly, and then it hasn't been updated for a full hour, right? Mm -hmm. That might be a freshness problem, for example. Just sort of a simple example, Um, and there's many different ways to think about freshness. Basically, it answers the question of, you know, how up to date is my data? Um, The second uh, pillar is volume. Um, And so the volume, you know, you shared the example, I expect 1 million rows and I'm getting only 10,000 rows, right? Um, So this basically tells us, you know, the completeness um, of our our data tables. Um, The third pillar is what we call distribution. Uh, Distribution um, basically kind of looks at the range of data. So let's say I expect a certain field to be between five and 15. And then suddenly that, though, I'm getting values that are in the hundreds or two hundreds, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, or, f- or if for example, um, you know, I expect credit card fields or fields f- and, you know, I suddenly get um, uh, sort of letters instead of numbers. Um, so, so all of these examples would be on our distribution pillar. Mm-hmm. The fourth pillar is schema, uh, which basically looks at who makes changes to our data and when. So that's both at the table and at the field level. Um, So if a table is added, removed, deprecated, if a field is changed in type. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the fifth pillar is lineage. Um, And lineage is basically um, a a map, an auto-discovered or auto-reconstructed map of all the dependencies, both upstream and downstream, uh, of your data assets. Um, And lineage helps us answer the question of, okay, if I have a freshness problem in a given table, you know what downstream assets are impacted by that. Maybe no one's using that table, so I don't need to care about that freshness mm-hmm. problem. But maybe maybe there are maybe this actually feeds an important model that someone is using, or maybe this goes into a report that gets sent to a customer regularly, right? What are the dependencies? And then similarly, what are the upstream root causes um, for for these problems? Um, Okay. Right, what, what may have contributed?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you're, you're, you're talking about this, and then I uh, recall that um, uh, an example we had recently at work so uh, data changed, a schema changed, mm-hmm. and it was announced, of course. Uh, like right. in the Slack That's channel,
1: good.
0: yes, it's good, but of course, uh, I have so many Slack channels open, like, uh, and not all of them are it, so I simply missed that, and then. Two weeks later, it stopped working. And then, okay, what happened? Like, why the data is now in the wrong f- format? But it was announced, right? So it's uh, and then, uh, yeah. If there was something like this, like a map with dependencies, downstream dependencies, then it uh, would have been possible to actually know. Okay, this data source is used by this, this, this team, and also, like, I would be one of. Uh, uh, these users of the, this data. And then maybe for me, I would get a personalized alert that's saying, okay, the data is about to change. You have to take action now. Else in two weeks, you, your your jobs will fail, right? So yeah. this is, I guess, uh, a good illustration of the lineage uh, pillar, right?
1: Yeah, that's a perfect illustration of a few. It's the both the schema pillar, right? Because there was mm-hmm. a change in schema and it sounds like someone manually notified you uh, on Slack, which is mm-hmm. very thoughtful. Uh, but um, but maybe that should be automated as well, right? Um, and then yes, lineage—that's you're, you're spot on. That's a great example of how that could have helped. Um, and then you mentioned that it caused the data to just stop arriving, right? No, um, it was
0: still arriving, just not in the arriving? format my jobs were expecting.
1: Got it. Yeah. So in that case, it, that might also that might be an example of a distribution. Uh, Mm -hmm. type problem, right? When it just, um, it's arriving in a different format. So that's the interesting thing with data downtime is that oftentimes it includes problems from multiple pillars. um, and each pillar can have multiple different problems. And so when you're thinking about observability and monitoring all that good stuff, what you need is a system that can detect all of these and can help you automatically draw insight from this to your point. And Mm -hmm. yeah, your, your example is spot on. I -hmm. hope that was resolved quickly.
0: Yeah, it was. Well, I had to (laughs) stop working on other things and fix that. And uh, yeah, well, at least uh, my code complained that, hey, something is wrong. This field is not there. That's how you found out about it? Yeah, and it broke uh, like it didn't work, but it could have been worse, right? If uh, the script, uh, the job kept running. And then I don't know when I would have noticed that. Maybe one month after that. Yeah, but uh, you also mentioned that there are other things uh, like in uh, in usual observability, in DevOps, uh, in the web DevOps world, there are metrics, logs, and traces. Do we still care about these things in uh, data observability? Because um, yeah, it's still probably important or it's less important than these uh, five things. Do we still need to gr- think about them?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I'd, I'd say, you know, we definitely still need to think about them. Uh, it's, it's just two different... Um, two different ways to think about a system, right? Um, and you probably can't run a very healthy system with only one or without the other. Um, and oftentimes we, we, we call it the good pipelines, bad data problem. You know, So you might have like really reliable, great pipelines or great systems, right? And you're still sort of tracking the observability from an engineering perspective. Um, but the data itself that's running in your pipeline is inaccurate. And that's why you need data observability. So, you, you know, don't get into the good pipeline, bad data problem.
0: Okay. So the, the idea here is we still need these three. So we still care about DevOps, right? So because, yes. uh, like, uh, if I may use this analogy, so we have this DevOps and we have DataOps, right? So we have observability and we have data observability, right? And yeah. it doesn't mean that we stop caring about all the other things, right? And care about these five. We still need to be on top of good engineering practices. We still need to care about all these DevOps practices, right? And we add on top of that. So we take these three pillars to make sure that uh, our systems are—they have the observability from the engineering point of view. And we add five on top, and then we have good pipeline and we have good data, right?
1: yes that's right that was spot on (laughs) okay Uh, yeah we we often find that data observability you know data engineering teams are really busy as you know they have a lot of things to do Um, and data observability actually you know saves um we see a, a significant reduction in time uh when data observability is used in practice um you know things like 120 hours per week on average you know for for like a five person team and a reduction of you know almost ninety percent of data incidents um, when you think about sort of when teams practice data observability. Um, so yeah, you're you're spot on. We can't we can't use one. We can't only choose one. It has to be based on some of the best practices. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a significant impact.
0: Okay, and uh, I noticed uh, that you often say observability and monitoring. Is there any difference between these two things or is it like are they synonyms and we can use them interchangeably or they're two different
1: things great question um so monitoring is basically a subset if you will of, of observability um so so observability basically tells us um, based on the output of a system what is the health of that system mm-hmm. um and so, so, observability basically helps us answer questions about the health of a system based on the results that you get in monitoring. And so, mm-hmm. monitoring will tell us, you know, um, this system is operating as expected and it's healthy. Uh, or, it will, monitoring will tell us, hey, you know, there is um, an outlier or a problem with the system here. You know, you have, uh, there's an indication of a freshness problem, for example, mm-hmm. you know, um, a table has not been updated. Um, but observability will help us uh, answer the question of why this is happening. You know, we'll see, okay, there is a problem. There's a freshness problem. What is the root cause of that? Mm -hmm. And then also how can it be solved by means of answering what what depends on that table, who relies on it? Is it an important table to to troubleshoot or not? And so um, you actually need both. Uh, And I see monitoring as a part of observability Mm -hmm. that helps us answer these Mm -hmm. questions.
0: Okay. So if I, uh, uh, I'm just trying to think of an example. So let's say our there is a job that is producing data and it stopped working. So now mm-hmm. we have monitoring in place that says, okay, we expect that in this table, uh, the data appears three times per hour, right. but it's been one hour since it appeared and nothing is still there. So we get an alert, right? So Something, something. is wrong. Yeah. yeah. So somebody, a data engineer, or maybe uh, somebody from operations get a... a
1: Pager a duty.
0: Pager duty call saying, hey, something is wrong with the data. And so this is, it doesn't tell us what went wrong. It just tells us that something is wrong, right? And then using other tools and other pillars like this lineage or some other things, we... Try to figure out what actually went wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Or how 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 does it work? How yeah. do we go from uh, simply monitoring and monitoring, send, sending us an alert, "Hey, something is wrong," to actually finding this root cause?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the other pillars can, in your example, uh, the other pillars can give us clues and help us understand, um, you know, why this happened and what we can do about it. So, for example, as you mentioned, let's say we get. You know, we have, you know, we have a strong monitoring system and we get an alert and a freshness problem. Um, and then we look at that table and we actually get, you know, we see that at the same time, um, you know, three other tables downstream also had a problem. Um, and we see that those are correlated. So they happen, you know, sequentially, for example. That can help us give, give clues around sort of, you know, what's the impact of this? Um, and to your point, sort of using lineage, maybe we can see, okay, you know what? There's a bunch of other tables further downstream um, that rely on this and they're going to be impacted later today. So, you know, we need to sort of stop the data from going to those tables or we need to, you know, fix this immediately, right? Um, so that gives us clues as to like, how can we actually solve this, for example? Um, another example for understanding why this is happening. So. Let's say, you know, we see that there's a, there's a freshness problem. Um, we wanna look at, you know, say um, the query logs. We wanna understand like who's making updates to this table. So I can actually you know, ping the right person or the user of this table to better understand you know, why they're using this table. Is it important or not? When, did, when, are, when are they using it? So actually using metadata about this data, um, getting data driven um, about our data. Uh, uh, can help us answer that so the way that I think about observability is basically um, yeah getting getting data driven about data and that includes you know knowing when things are wrong like monitoring but answering a bunch of other questions too
0: and uh, which makes me uh, think who should be responsible for so I imagine like uh, usually the setup maybe it's different but there is uh, usually some sort of central data platform and then there are uh, teams who publish to this platform there are teams who consume from this platform and I'm wondering here whose responsibility is to actually uh, to to make sure that, uh, that the data is there I think so the platform probably can help us with uh, making sure that there is freshness freshness and uh, yeah but it's if uh, the producers uh, of the data start publishing some, some data with errors uh, there should be some process that lets them know hey something is probably is wrong right so is it should it be the team who who implements these checks or the platform tells them hey something is wrong or like how how does, is it implemented usually
1: yeah great question so um uh I will say that it very much depends on the maturity and the size of the data organization, right? Um, when you're a very small company and you have maybe one data engineer, right? Like the lone data engineer, mm-hmm. um, you know he or she are typically responsible for everything. So mm-hmm. they're going to be, um, you know, setting up the the system and receiving the alerts and troubleshooting it and letting everyone know, right? Mm-hmm. And then I we'll take the, the other
0: right. exactly,
1: exactly. <laughs> um, you know, plug and unplug, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> Um, and you know, in in the, in a large, you know, take like a large company where you might have thirty thousand people consuming data, and you have a team of a, of a data team that's you know several thousands of people. In those organizations, one of the sort of things that we're seeing is people moving towards a decentralized model mm-hmm. of ownership, where basically you have sub teams of data um, uh, in the data organization, and those people have ownership on. Um, uh, on basically on that data, and so in those cases, organization actually make uh, data observability and, and data monitoring self serve. And so there's typically a centralized group that's responsible for saying this is the platform that we should be using for data for data observability, and you know for each data team for each sub team, um, uh, that sub team actually defines. Uh, what, how they engage or interact with that platform. And so that sub team will receive you know, personalized alerts for their data assets only. Um, and so oftentimes as companies move from being very small to being very large on that trajectory, we're seeing different, um, uh, different models along that path. Um, I think one of the, 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 one of the main questions that people ask us is like, who's actually responsible for this and how do we set accountability? Um, one of the ways that we're seeing uh, companies deal with this is with a framework called RACI, mm-hmm. um, which basically helps to determine accountability um, in organizations. And so RACI stands for um, R is responsible, which is basically the person who is executing on um, uh, the specific task at hand. A is for accountable. So it's a person that, whose neck is on the line. Uh, like, it's, it's sort of their main job to make sure that this, like, they're, they're the people held accountable. Um, C is consulted, meaning they need to be, they, their opinion might count, um, or, you know, you'd want to seek their opinion um, about something. And then I is for informed, meaning someone needs to know about something. And so for each part in the data life cycle, you can define who is responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can use that to determine what's right for your organization. So for example, you know, um, uh, for specific data, data observability or data, data quality problems, we can say, okay, chief data officer or you know, uh, the, the CTO is the person who's accountable, has the A. Um, but the person who's actually solving that um, is, you know, the the data engineering, the data engineering team. Um, the person that needs to be, or the organization that needs to be informed, meaning I, um, is the data analyst team, for example. Mm-hmm. They need to know about problems, um, even though they're not responsible for the jobs in the pipelines specifically. And so you can use this framework to help allocate, you know, who needs to do what and when, mm-hmm. and basically clarify that. So you're not in a position where there's one person doing all of that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking about uh, what I'm doing. So I'm a data scientist and uh, uh, I build models, machine learning models, usually using data that some other teams produce. So let's yeah. say there is uh, a team that produces this data source, there is a team that produces uh, that other data source. So what I do is I join these two data sources and build something on top of that. So in this case, uh, I guess I would be informed. So if something is, uh, something goes wrong, Somebody from this team's reach out and say, "Okay, sorry, there is some problem with the data, right?" And they are responsible, right? So they're responsible. They're reaching out to me, and probably the accountable, accountable person. I don't know, maybe a product manager in that team or yeah. a, a manager in that team who is accountable. So this person would be doing, uh, you know, communication, saying, "Hey, sorry, like I, I know you use this data, I know you rely on, rely on this data, but uh, something happened or." I don't know, server died, or there was a bug and the data is not there. Sorry. And the data engineers, uh, in the meantime, um, are trying to fix it. Right. Is it uh, more or less like that? Yeah. I guess uh, it also makes me a bit uh, like uh, puts me in the consultant category, consulted, because uh, I could be a stakeholder. I can say, okay, you know what? You promised this data with a delay of one hour, but this is not enough. Can you make it a bit? Uh, you know, faster, quicker, I like smaller delay, right? So if they care about my opinion, then it means I'm consulted, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, that's right. right. Yeah, you got it spot on.
0: Okay, cool. (laughs) And uh, so what do we do with this? I guess so responsible and accountable, uh, this is the team that actually puts the data. So if I'm a data scientist, I want to make a, a model, Based on some data, I go to this team and ask, so what are your, uh, uh, like, I, I think the right term would be SLA, right? Service level agreements. Yeah. So can you promise me that the data will appear there five minutes after the user made an action, right? So this is, uh, mm-hmm. so we make some sort of agreement between uh, our team and mm-hmm. the team of data engineers, right? Yeah. And uh then you said uh, that uh, in bigger organizations, so in small organizations could be one data engineer who is doing everything, but once a company becomes bigger, we could have this uh, centralized platform mm-hmm. where teams could define their um, these SLAs and whatnot, saying that, okay, we promise that the data will not be delayed more than by five minutes, right? And then they say okay, the freshman requirement is five minutes, right? And so, this is there is an agreement between us, and then they start pushing the data to, to the platform, right? And then, when something goes wrong, the system alerts them. And uh, yeah, I guess now data engineers fix it. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: So, do you want to add something there? No.
1: Uh, I, I think I think you did a great job of uh, of explaining that. I think that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you are
0: the podcast yeah. guest, yes, right? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's perfect. <laughs> I, I I much prefer it. Um, you know, when when you do such a such a great job of explaining this, but um, yeah, no, that's spot on. You know, I think in in the same way that we've adopted observability as a concept, like also SLAs is something that's like super mm-hmm. common, right, in engineering, um, but. Uh, But we haven't adopted it in data yet, Uh, but we we can, and it'll be helpful for us to have that communication agreement because, you know, the value of that actually, like why it's important is because it'll help your data engineering counterparts know what to focus and what to solve for, right? Imagine that they have like hundreds of tables that have freshness issues, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's only, you know, 10 of them where they have an SLA, a particular SLA for freshness and timeliness that's like, you know, this five minute window, then they will know to prioritize those. And maybe mm-hmm. the rest can wait for later, right? So it provides some sort of agreement between you two and what actually matters to you. And you can give the information of, you know, these tables matter more, this data set doesn't matter at all, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so it actually allows us to have better communication and to also, you know, not waste our time on things that don't matter.
0: Mm-hmm. So here, I guess the uh, there are a few c- crucial uh, components. Um, so first, we need to have this platform that allows us to, uh, to define uh, defines these requirements. like we want we have these expectations for freshness, we have these expectations for volume or I don't know maybe for volume we don't even need to define that. that maybe it should be like okay, something is wrong because yesterday it was that much, but today is less. Uh, for
1: freshness. Actually, yes. oh, you okay. can say yeah. you can say you can you can actually that. Here's the cool thing, is that for a lot of these, actually, actually, for each of the the pillars, there is a component that can be um, automated to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so, what I believe is that we've underinvested in automation um, and data, which is kind of ironic. But I do think we have. And so, teams are used to saying, "Okay, I need to define." you know, that this, you know, that the volume here needs to be this or that the freshness needs to bet to to your point, but um, really you have historical data about that. Mm -hmm. And so you can infer what is the volume that you expect. And you can also infer, okay, this table is being updated three times an hour. So it should be updated three Mm -hmm. times an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously you can add customization on top of that. So you can say, no, actually, you know, in your example, I want this data to arrive faster. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you make sure that that happens? so I definitely think that um, we, we, need, we need to start with sort of a layer of automation and then mm-hmm. add on top of that customization. But I would start with, with what we already know about the data.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I mentioned that we are not starting from scratch. There are already right. some processes that uh, push data somewhere. There are processes that treat data from somewhere. And it's not like uh, we have a blank page, right? So there are, there is already something. So we can just uh, see, okay, like, Here, usually something arrives within five minutes. So let's just use this as a a SLA, right? So we can infer this from the past. But in some cases, we uh, should have a way to override this and say, okay, yeah, let's let's, uh, make sure it arrives earlier. right? But in any way, we need to have this place there. It's possible to define this. And then we also need people who take uh, responsibility. They say, okay. We are going to stick to these SLAs, and if something is wrong, we are going to make sure that uh, we recover as fast as possible. Right? So we yeah, need...
1: you can even have a monitor, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in your office that shows here's the SLAs and here's mm-hmm. how well we're doing, and we're crushing it. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, in the office, so yes. nobody sees it. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm wondering how this uh, uh, in your
1: virtual office.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's a set topic. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, so we have these uh, two things. So we have uh, the platform itself, like the, 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 the tool that lets mm-hmm. us define all this. So then we have uh, this framework, RACI, to identify who is responsible. So we have this people aspect. Uh, so do we need something else to make it work? Uh, this observability, to have observability in place?
1: That is a great question. Um, so I would say that's a good start. Uh, if you have both of those things, you're off to a great start. Um, there's probably um, different, uh, maybe the, the only additional thing that folks do is they start defining playbooks and runbooks for what happens in, in these instances, basically workflows. So you know, let's say um, you know, there was this table that you expected to get updated three times out an hour and it stopped getting updated. Um, and then there's a whole set of things that happens, right? The first is to your point, you know, you get informed because your model actually relies on that data, and then the data engineers need to take some actions in order to resolve that. So what are those actions? What exactly are they doing? What systems are they using to look at uh, to solve it? Um, who do they need to know? Um, how do they resolve it? Um, all that stuff basically like a one book as another thing that that typically folks um, define. Um, But you know what? I think even if you have, uh, if you get started with what you mentioned, uh, you're off to a great start. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a bit how we implement this. So what are the, and there is actually a question, but I also wanted to ask this question. So uh, the question is, what are the, uh, what are some of the good tools in the marketplace that provide good job at data observability? And I think uh, I know what you are going to say. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you, you've been doing a great job of that. So you can go ahead and answer. <laughs>
0: hey, you mean Monte Carlo? Or? <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: I, can, I, I can provide an answer, um, uh, you know, for, for what folks are doing, if that's helpful. Um, I talked a little bit about sort of this uh, kind of like maturity curve for how people manage from like a, you know, small company where there's one person who's sort of doing everything. And then there's a large company where... Um, you know, you have like, uh, you know, you might have a decentralized model and you have different ownership. And so actually, you know, as I mentioned, we talked to hundreds of, of data teams and there's there's sort of a maturity curve for how you deal with data downtime as well. Um, so in the very, very early stage, you might be in a very reactive um, phase where really you don't have anything in place um, and you have basically disasters all the time. Uh, you know, I like I, I um, you know, I remember the CEO who told me that, that, you know, this is back in the day when there were offices, like, and they would like walk around and put sticky notes on like on reports and saying like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, right? Um, <laughs> so that's like a very, very reactive stage. Um, the first stage is, it, or sort of the second stage, when people start, start thinking about how to solve this in a more proactive way, it's called a proactive stage, is when people use some, they put in place some, some pretty basic checks, right? It can be just row counts, right? I'm, I'm going to like manually sort of select a bunch of tables and make sure that they, you know, get a million rows every day because that's what I expect. And then those teams spend a lot of time in like retros and post-mortems and figuring out what's wrong. The third stage is sort of automated when they sort of start, when they they recognize that a manual approach is no longer, um, uh, you know, scalable or scalable. Or, or, um, effective. And so they basically, you know, started implementing some solutions um, and we can talk about what those are. And then the fourth stage is like scalable when basically, you know, you have um, companies really invested in both the scalable and automated solution. Um, You know, some of the best in class out there, you can take a look at Netflix um, has has written a lot about what they've done um, uh, for monitoring observability and detecting anomalies. Um, So, you know, I think there's it ranges from th- sort of things that you can hack together, do on your own, where you can basically, you know, using SQL or Python or Jupyter notebooks, mm-hmm. and actually we put together some tutorials on this. Um, so I'm happy to send, um, happy to share the links after if that's helpful for mm-hmm. kind of creating your own monitors. Um, you, the other thing that you know you could sort of um, do is kind of uh, look at specific area in your pipeline um and and sort of define kind of specific tests in those areas like in airflow or something like that um but really what we're finding is that um as data organizations are getting as we talked about like actually using their data and getting more serious about data downtime they do need a holistic approach um and so whether it's sort of an open source tool or something you know sort of a bespoke solution that's easy to get up and running with um uh there needs to be something more holistic than than uh, sort of a point solution
0: okay so like you mentioned that you can uh, at the beginning get away with a bunch of counters so like just uh, count how many rows appeared in the uh, each hour let's say and then you can at the same time check what is the, the date of the last uh, when let's say when you insert row you can add some Sort of a timestamp to each row, right, and then you can just look at the max value uh, of this of this column, which will give you the, the freshness, right. So I guess you can get away with uh, a bunch of things, uh, just doing uh, plain using plain SQL and a bunch of uh, Python scripts, like you said. But that would put you to the proactive stage, right, in this maturity curve. Or uh, yeah, that's right. Or already exactly. automated.
1: I would say somewhere between in the proactive stage, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's still pretty ad hoc.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do we go to the, like you said, we need some sort of holistic picture. Uh, so how do we get this holistic picture if all we have is a bunch of ad hoc stuff uh, put together with a duct tape that does uh, some sort of alerting already? Let's say maybe there is uh, an email to some of the people. Uh, hopefully, or I don't know, a Slack uh, message uh, from a bot—that's already quite good. Uh, uh, but like, how do we go even further? Like, how do we go to the automated phase?
1: Yeah. So in that case, you probably will need an observability solution. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yes, full disclosure: Monte Carlo uh, does have an observe. What we what we are doing is, um, you know, we've built a, a strong observability platform. Uh, so that's definitely our, the core of what we do. Um, some of the characteristics that I think are important for a strong observability solution: um, one, it needs to it needs to give you end-to-end visibility, um, so it actually needs to connect to whatever your data stack is, including your data lake, your data warehouse, your ETL, and you know your BI or your machine learning models. Um, so, you know, to take an example, if you're just doing you know row counts in only a handful of tables in your data warehouse. It's probably insufficient because you are relying on data arriving on time in other areas and a lot of the data moving in different systems and so i would you know if i were to choose an observability solution it would be one that can actually connect to my existing stack um, and end to end so including the data lake the data warehouse the etl and the bi solution um it's also you know i think it's important to um to choose a solution that automatically learns your environment and your data. So we talked a little bit earlier about whether you manually define the thresholds or you actually rely on automation. Um, And I think solutions that sort of rely, to your point, we're not starting from scratch, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so solutions that can actually um, do the instrumentation for you and start the monitoring for you um, using machine learning models based on historical data, I think that puts you at an advantage. I think another key point is minimizing false positives. Uh, so data teams you know, often have alert fatigue. And so if you actually have a system that can take into account not only um, the data, but also metadata and um, thinking holistically about, this, about the five pillars, right? Each one is important and has to include things like lineage, for example. Then that can help minimize false positives um, and give you rich context about each of the incidents, so that you know whether you should take action on it. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's certain criteria that you should look for when you're thinking about the data observability solution, Um, and that's the way to. That's definitely the way to kind of improve the health overall and move up in the maturity curve.
0: Mm -hmm. Are there some open source uh, tools for that?
1: Um, there's open source for different um, specific uh, solutions, like for each of the pillars, um, mm-hmm. but, but not one that sort of does mm-hmm. comprehensive for all of those five pillars. Um,
0: yeah. I'm wondering, I think the, the most difficult thing, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, is this lineage. Like, how do you actually define all these dependencies? Um, is there a, a good tool for that?
1: Um, we've, there are different, there are different, uh, levels of lineage. So for example, airflow provides job level lineage, for example. Um, but for table level and field level lineage, something that automatically reconstructs that. Um, I actually haven't seen a very strong one. Um, if anyone, you know, if there's anyone in the audience, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to, to hear if there's anything that I've seen out there, um, but, um, not, not that I've seen, mm-hmm.
0: Okay, yeah. So we have a couple of questions from the audience. Maybe we can go through through them. So RK is asking if uh, you know any good approaching or uh, approaches on test-driven development in the data space and does it have to do any, anything to do with uh, data observability?
1: Sorry, can you say it again? I don't think I got yes. the first so
0: part. you know, there's this uh, test-driven development. Uh, this yeah. is like a way to to develop things in. Mm. Uh, In engineering, yeah, are there some similar approaches in the data space to that, and how we do we go about testing uh, in uh, data?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, and this is sort of the the I think the ultimate question here is like maybe what's the difference between testing and monitoring and and Mm -hmm. or testing and observability, and um and and you know what should what does that mean for us, right? Um, so going back to software engineering and to what um, the importance of testing and software engineering is is critical, right? Like you'd be crazy to release something to production without testing it thoroughly, right? Somehow in data we actually do that, <laughs> right? So somehow we actually like uh, don't don't always have strong testing um, in place, and so um, you know definitely uh, uh, putting in place strong measures for testing too is in, is important. Um, I think you need both, right? So you can get away um, uh, just with testing. Um, some of the sort of common pitfalls that we see are teams that think that, that just testing is sufficient. Um, the problem with that is that um, you don't know, sort of, you know, the, it's like the unknown unknowns, right? So you can, mm-hmm. in testing, you need to specify things that you exactly. know might happen, right? Um, but you are, there's always going to be things that you didn't pick up on. And so monitoring helps make sure that, um, if, and when something happens, you will know about that regardless. Um, so I'm a strong advocate of, of both. Um, and you can define tests. Like for example, you know, if you have a solution like DBT, for example, um, you can actually define data quality tests in DBT. Um, to help make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're doing testing properly. So 100%, I think that's that's super important and, and another great area that we can adopt from software engineering. Mm-hmm.
0: And these data quality tests, we again define some sort of fringes or that for this sort of input, this, uh, this, this is the sort of output we expect or how did this work?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, um, uh, uh, defining defining basically sort of manually what you expect out of, um, you know, making sure that, you know, specific sort of null values are in specific range or, um, uh, you know, basically uh, specific things that, you know, are often uh, breaking or incorrect in this data that you want to test. Um, uh, Some of the sort of problems that occur, some of the common pitfalls that we see is that um, uh, one, as I mentioned, like there's some unknown unknowns, so you don't always know what to test for. And then the other thing is that it's actually quite it's quite time consuming. So you know, there are folks who might define like thousands of tests, and so for a data engineer to go through that, um, it's 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 actually quite quite laborious. Um, and so I would really think of a strong strategy would incorporate both testing um, and monitoring as well to kind of mi- mitigate those.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Uh- do you know if uh, the big vendors, big clouds, already move into this uh, space of data observability, or uh, it's still not really uh, they they still not really focused on that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, so at Monte Carlo, uh, we're actually um we we've partnered with um, Looker, which is you know acquired by, by Google. So with GCP, mm-hmm. um, we've partnered with PagerDuty um, and we've partnered with Snowflake. Um, and so, you know, this is definitely something that I think the large vendors or the large kind of um, cloud providers um, have noticed that something is important. You know, we hear a lot from them that this is something that comes up, up a lot for their customers. Uh, and so, uh, you know, something that they that they want to provide a strong solution for. Um, so I think this is definitely something that is becoming more and more important. Yeah.
0: But uh, typically should the uh should this be agnostic of a cloud uh, compute vendor? Like, let's say, because uh, I say, imagine if somebody is, if a company is on AWS, uh, it's uh, quite uh, a vendor lock, right? Uh, like, the, if you want to solve a problem for somebody who's an, on AWS, then you mm-hmm. cannot be cloud agnostic, right? There are so many things that are cloud specific, like, I know on AWS, there's S3, Athena, all this... Uh, uh, all these services. Um, so the question is, uh, yeah, can it be cloud agnostic, or it's difficult?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a great question. So, um, so for so for us, so the observability, our observability platform. Um, actually, we integrate with all um, cloud data lakes um, and data warehouses and, and BI solutions. So you know, integrate with all everyone that you mentioned. You know, GCP, AWS, um, you know, and, and all others. Um, as well. And I think that's important because as I mentioned, um, I think a good observability solution will actually connect to your existing stack and you you don't have to change, you know, to a different provider for that. Um, And so, yes, it has to be agnostic actually and in the same way that it is in engineering. Right. So for example, like Prometheus, Grafana, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, New Relic, Datadog, you know, they connect to sort of what whatever you have, right? Whatever mm-hmm. systems you have. Um, and so I think it's, it has to be a requirement in the same way. Okay.
0: And then you can also use Kubernetes for your jobs, right? And then uh, it's also cloud agnostic, right? That's
1: right.
0: So, yeah. Uh, uh, another question from RK. What are your thoughts on centralizing the observability in a distributed environment where uh, we have multiple different data warehouses and data pipelines and um, et cetera.
1: Yeah, um, so thank you for the question, R.K. Uh, I, I'd love to dig in deeper and better understand your, your environment and, and see um, how I can help. probably requires sort of a deeper dive of your, of your system and, and your infrastructure to better understand. Um, but I, I will say that even in a, an environment where you have distributed ownership, it's important to define... Um, sort of in, in it's important to find a centralized way. What, to your point, like, are we doing SLAs as an organization? Does data reliability, is data reliability important to us? Do we care about having trust in the data, right? And that needs to be in some centralized fashion, potentially needs to be decided, but also each team can decide that, you know, it's important to us to make sure that we're delivering reliable data. Um, and then each team can actually define sort of the SLAs for their own organization. Um, so I think, you know, observability matters regardless of what your um, whether you're in distributed or not, or centralized, um, because, you know, providing trust in data is important for everyone, uh, regardless of like what your structure is and what kind of data you're dealing with. Um, if you don't have trust in your data, that's the worst thing that can happen to you. If you are producing data that people can't use and can't trust, um, it's, it's, it's really, um you know, probably sort of the biggest threat to us, honestly, uh, as an industry. And so regardless of that structure, there's different ways to adopt, to adopt it and to implement it, but regardless of that data observability should be core to your strategy.
0: Thank you. Do you have time for a couple of more questions?
1: Uh, yeah, sure thing.
0: Okay. So, uh, we have a question. Um, wait, I lost it. Um, so how Monte Carlo detects upstream and downstream usage of data
1: Yeah so um, uh, again happy to go into, into more detail if folks want to reach out to Maybe me. There's a
0: link that you can share after the
1: yeah talk. Yeah so feel free to email me. my email is uh, bar B-A-R-R, at monte com, um, or go to our website monte com. Um, and I'm happy to also share the link after and, and get into more details and, and talk about this. But at a super high level, um, what Monte Carlo does is we actually have a data observability platform um, that you know, is based around these five pillars. And so as part of our lineage pillar, we actually reconstruct both the upstream and downstream dependencies and basically reconstruct your, the lineage um, for a particular system, whether it's your data lake, your data warehouse, your BI. Um, and we actually do that across your systems as well. Um, so we, and we do that automatically, there's no manual, um, input. So happy to, happy to go into more detail. Uh, you know, if you want to reach out directly to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, uh, uh, I noticed that uh, you also joined our Slack. So I yeah. think that's another way of, uh, conducting you.
1: Right. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm a big fan of, of the community that you're building. Um, and I am available on Slack. So happy to take any questions. Um, feel free to send over.
0: Yeah, thanks. So maybe just uh, the last one for today. So, how yeah. do you differ- differentiate between getting bad, bad data and getting uncommon data, which might actually be interesting, but not wrong?
1: Yeah, fabulous question. So, um, if I will rephrase that a little bit, I think the question is. Um, I might get notified about something, but it is intentional, meaning it's not bad. Uh, it's just different. It's just unexpected, but maybe it's a good thing. Um, and, and you're right. I don't think we can actually like, necessarily discern that. And also, I'm not sure that that actually matters. Um, and I'll say why. Um, I think people want to know about changes in their data, even if they are simply uncommon right? Um, So let's say you had a crazy spike or you got instead of the 1 million rows, you got 10,000 rows. Maybe that was intentional because someone made a schema change upstream. And maybe that is still good data. It's not bad, but you still want to know about that because that has implication on your machine learning model. Um, And so I think a good observability solution will let you know about both instances um, and will provide enough context about each event so that you can make the decision or someone can make the decision whether um, you know, this is uncommon or bad to use that terminology. Um, but we need to know about both. And the more context you have about that event, um, the easier it is to make that discernment and know what are the action items uh, to take mm-hmm. based on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Should we actually get alerts every time there is a suspicious row? Or it's, it depends. Like, let's say we have a volume of 1 million rows. Do we want to get an alert for every unusual one or...
1: Yeah, probably not. Uh, you probably will get alert fatigued, um, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you probably want a system that is a little bit more sophisticated than that. And so, um, at Monte Carlo, we've invested a lot in making sure that you know we send event, we send alerts for events that matter. Um, so, you know, if this is like a table that um, is highly used or highly queried or has many dependencies downstream for machine learning models, that are really important. Um, or, you know, there could be other instances or other ways to identify whether something is really, really important. Um, but I would definitely say you want to be very thoughtful, um, and making sure that you are being alerted and, and taking action on, on the things that truly matter to your system.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I think we should be wrapping up. Maybe do you have any last words before we do that?
1: Uh, I would just say thank you for the time. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, and if, if, you know, this is a sort of a topic that's near and dear to my heart. So if anyone wants to sort of uh, continue the conversation, I'll be on Slack.
0: Okay, thank you. And uh, I'll put some contact details, uh, Twitter and uh, LinkedIn in the description. But yeah, thanks a lot for joining us today, for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. And thanks everyone on uh on the stream for listening, uh, for tuning in. And uh, I wish everyone a great weekend.
1: Have a great weekend.
0: Yes. So nice talking to you.
1: Yeah, likewise. Goodbye. Bye.